All right, you can take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians 12 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Try and give you a simple thought this morning. At least that's my intent. No, don't know quite how it'll turn out, but 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to preach to you a message that I guess I'd call, Who Do You Think You Are? <laughs> Who Do You Think You Are? And yeah. You know, typically somebody will say that statement, does say it, you know, along the lines of, who do you think you are? But that's not really what I want to try to get across to you this morning. I want to try and approach it from a little bit different of an aspect. And so let's look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. The Bible says, it is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, let yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted Above measure, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak... Then am I strong. I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. All right. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us this morning. Lord, thank you, God, Lord, for the singing, Lord, that's already been done. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for Sunday school this morning. And God, Lord, we've come now, Lord, to the need of the hour. Lord, we've come to the time, God, Lord, that's been set apart, Lord, for preaching. God, for the preaching of your word. And Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us. We pray that you'd help us. God, Lord, a feeble man I am, Lord. God, just feeble lips of clay. But, Lord, I trust you this morning, God, to take, Lord, the vehicle that you have chosen, God, and that is the preach word of God. And, Lord, to use it, God, to deal with the hearts of your people and help us this morning, God, to speak to us. And, Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, let me call your attention back up here to verse 6. Paul says, For though I would desire to glory... I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. How many of you, uh, have, by nature, are a little bit self-conscious? Let, let me see your hand. I, I am right there with you. And I, I'm kind of amused a little bit because just about every hand in the church went up. I, I didn't really think I'd get that many people to admit that, but I, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm a little bit self-conscious. And when I say self-conscious, uh, I'm a little bit conscious of what other folks think about me. And I, I have a suspicion that every man is, and sometimes a little bit more uh, some folks are probably a little bit more self-conscious than other folks. Some folks are uh, I've got some family members. My, my brother is a little bit this way. He's a little bit wired to where he could kind of, he cares about what other people think. I think everybody does to a certain extent, but some folks are leaning a little bit more to the place to where they just don't care at all. It's just, it, it seems like the impression that they give, they just don't care. Well, I'm not that way. I tend to think a lot about what other people think of me, and too much of that's really bad. If you haven't figured that out, too much of that is really bad. Some of that, I believe, is put in you by the Holy Spirit. It's put into you. And I said by the Holy Spirit, what I mean is it's put in you by God. Uh, man was not made to live alone. Uh, and when I say man, I mean man and woman. People are not made to live alone. People are not made to be isolated units. And so 
Uh, the Bible says in the book of Genesis, I believe it's chapter 2, God looked at Adam and he said, it's not good that the man should be alone. He said, let us make a help meet for him. And so he made a woman. Well, I believe something took place in that transaction. And if it wasn't there, it was the day that Adam was made. There's something in there to where man has got this consciousness of what other people around him are doing, what they're thinking, what they're, like I said, you can't, you can't guess about what people are thinking because you just don't know. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Ain't that right? That's the only way you can know what's in somebody's heart. And a lot of times folks will be dishonest with you about that stuff. Sometimes folks will uh, put on airs and nobody really appreciates that unless they don't like you. <laughs> then you'd appreciate it if they put on airs. Ain't that right? Uh, fake, fake it to me all you want. I don't want to know that you don't like me. But I, being a little bit silly there, all I'm saying is there's something in man that has this mindset of, I wonder what they're thinking about me. And that's that self-consciousness. Well, let, let, me, let me ask you this question, and this is really what I'm going to try and get across to you. This will probably be a real brief sermon, but I want to try to get something across to you. Uh, you have this idea of what other people think about you. Every single one of you do. You, you have this perceived notion of what the person sitting next to you thinks. Uh, you have this perceived notion of what maybe the other person across the aisle is thinking about you. You've got this perceived notion of, uh, I'll give you a good example. You Folks in this church have a perceived notion of what folks outside of this church are thinking about them. And that's not something to be discarded. That's not something to be thrown off and just forgotten about. But there is that notion. Now... You have that notion in your mind, right? Well, all, simultaneously, you also have this notion of what you would like for them to think about you. Ain't that right? Don't, don't sit there and be quiet. You have a notion inside of you to where you have this mental image of what I, how I would like to be perceived. That's, that's why some folks lie. That's why some folks put on airs. Uh, it's like going down to the family reunion. Ain't that right? You go down to the family reunion and you see Uncle Bob, who you've been chewing out for the last three years, and you see Uncle Bob, give me a hand, boy. <laughs> Fell asleep. Hey, Uncle Bob, it's so good to see you. So glad we got to see each other at family reunion. Hope to see you again next year. And you go home and, I hate that guy's guts. <laughs> uh, what that's all about is you gotta, you've got this this notion in your mind of how you want to be perceived. You come into church and I guarantee it's the same way. I know it's the same way. I've been going to church my whole life. I haven't been saved my whole life. I got saved, I think, 1995. I think I, that makes me seven years old if I got my math right. Uh, April 1995, born in uh, March of 1988. So that does make me seven years old if I have my math right. And you go and you see folks hanging around at church and you've got this idea of what you'd like for them to think about you. Now, here's my question, and this is really the crux of the message this morning. Here you have this, this idea. You have the idea of what people think about you. And then you also have this idea of what you would like for them to think about you. And for most of you, that's probably not the same. It's probably not the same. What you think other people think about you and what you would like for other people to think about you, those two things are probably not the same. Is that not true? I, I know that's true. You be quiet this morning if you want to, but I know that's true. Now, here's my question, and this is really the crux of the message. What are you doing to try to bring those two things together? Now, along those lines, you might think, well, man, I've really got to get engaged, and I really have to do something to make so-and-so think better of me. And I'm not going to totally eliminate all of that, but I want to try to maybe just present things a little bit different uh, you know, you run across some folks. Have you ever run across somebody that's really, really self-conscious and it, they make it very apparent that they want you to think better of them than you already do? Have you ever run across somebody like that? Maybe some of you have been that way. But there's no doubt in my mind that you have run across somebody like that and it almost comes across as a little bit uh, weird. It's, a, it's unnatural. Ain't that true? Y'all ain't following me, are you? Let me give you an illustration. Here's a fella. He sees a girl. 
and falls head over, in, head over heels in love with her. And I mean, he just got to have this gal. I mean, he just got to be able to get down. He's, he has to know that he can get down on one knee and propose to her. And she says, oh, yes. So this fellow will go overboard. He'll do things that he never dreamed of doing. I mean, like leaving roses on the windshield and, you know, leaving love letters. And you know, you know he ain't never thought about doing that before because as soon as you get married, he stops. <laughs> ain't that true? Ain't that true? Ain't that true? Oh, so, yes, sir, that's, that's a God's honest truth. Well, see, what he's got in his mind is the way she sees me right now. And then what he's also got in his mind is the way I want her to see me. What that is is trying to sucker somebody. Huh? And you, know, you know why men keep doing that? You know why young fellas keep doing that? Because it works. It really does. You say that's dishonest. It's the way people are though, ain't it? Sure it is. Sure it is. Well, let, let me ask you something this morning. What, don't you think that the better way to go about those things is just be who you are? I go back to the, to the same illustration of what I was just using. You know what happens in a situation like that? A lot of fellas will jump head over heels trying to swoon this girl. And I mean, just sweep them off their feet. And then by the time they get married, these gals meet with disappointment. And it's not just, it's not just towards, it's not just from the, from the fella towards the lady. It's just as much the other way around. You know, you meet a girl and, you know, she dresses up and looks like, a Barbie doll, of course, that, to me, that whole concept don't even sound attractive. But anyways, this girl dresses herself up, dolls herself up every time you see her. I mean, you go over to her house, 6 o'clock in the morning, she got makeup on, huh? got a pretty dress on. And I mean, she just looks like she's all put together. And then you get married. And, Who's this? Who is this that cometh up from Basra with dyed garments? I mean, this is not who I thought it was going to be. Well, see, what, what, what's going on is this gal, it's the same way as the other way. This, this gal has in her mind who she's perceived to be by this fella. And then the other way around, it's also, well, I would really like for him to perceive me this way. And you know what happens in a situation like that? Everybody meets with that. When you get married on those kind of terms, and listen, listen, I, I joke about that stuff. And, but there's an element of that to where it's understandable. But you know, some folks, they get married entirely on that premise. They get married on the premise of, hey, this gal is good looking, or hey, this fella is so sweet, romance. And then when those things taper off after they get married, it meets with a large amount of frustration. It meets with a large amount of, well, this is not who it really was. You know what would have been the better way to go about it? I'm not talking about throwing common courtesy in the trash. And this is not what, this is an illustration. This is not really what I'm preaching about. I'm trying to get an idea across to you. What would have been the better way to go about it was just be who you are. Just be who you are. If you don't know how to make biscuits, ladies, don't try and get in there and act like you do. And five minutes before he came over, look up something on the internet from Betty Crocker because you're probably going to mess it up anyway. You know, don't get your grandma over there and say, hey, can you make biscuits and then leave as soon as they're in the oven so that the impression is given that you made them? I mean, only a southern fellow would know anything of what I'm talking about. And I'm a little upset that none of you fellas are saying amen. I'm on church, every single one of you fellas. Do you know who Robert E. Lee is? Okay, then I'll let you stay. But this biscuit thing, you being quiet, kind of getting on my nerves. Uh, but that's the truth. That's the truth. Well, you know what? The better thing to be, the better thing to do would just be who you are. It's just be who you are. Hey, if you don't know how to make biscuits, ladies, you're getting ready to get married. I mean, most of the ladies in here is married already. If you're getting ready, but I'm using that as an illustration. If you don't know how to make biscuits, just say, you know, when he comes to the house and says, hey, I'd like for you to make some biscuits, just say, sorry, I don't know how. And then maybe he can hook you up with his grandma. Yes, sir. Can't fix a problem unless you know about it. Yes, sir. Problem is some of you gals don't want to know how to fix it. You backslidden devils. I don't recommend, I don't, some of you having a hard time with this sermon already. Uh, listen, I don't recommend getting married, gals, unless you know how to cook. 
Now you come back tonight, we'll, we'll preach a little bit more on that. Half of y'all going to lay out, ain't you? Mm-hmm. Oh, we ain't coming back tonight. It's okay. Come on back tonight. We'll, we'll, we'll doctor you right up. But the better thing to do is just be who you are. Just be who you are. Look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look in verse 1. Look, look, look at what Paul is dealing with here. Look at what he says in verse 1. He says, it is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. You know what the word expedient means? It's not, it doesn't serve to advance. Have you ever met some folks that were so, and I, I know you have. I keep asking you if you have, but I know you have. Have you met some folks that are so insecure that they get to the place to where all they ever do is brag on themselves? You say, what's that all about? That, that's not a strength. That's a weakness. That, that's not good. Did you know that if you're good at playing cards, no, I don't mean gambling. <laughs> I mean playing cards. If you're good at playing cards, you don't have to say anything to anybody about that. Just pull up a chair and sit down with somebody and start playing cards, and they'll figure it out real fast. Hey, if you're good at welding, fellas, or if you're good at, if you're good at fishing, you don't have to go around and say, I'm such a wonderful fisherman. I'm so smart. I, one of the, I would dare say the best fisherman in the entire county, with maybe an exception of one or two people in the entire county, used to go to church right here. Pedro Drury. That, go talk to folks about Pedro Drury. Just bring up his name. That fellow knows how to catch fish. You know how he got that reputation? He did not get that reputation by going around Charlton County and saying, I'm so good. I'm so good at fishing. I really know how to catch fish. You know how he got that reputation? Pulling up at Trader's Hill boat ramp from a day of fishing and time after time after time opening the cooler and people going, where'd you get all them fish? Right out there. <laughs> I've been fishing all day and I ain't caught nothing. Well, they're out there. You just got to know how to get them. You, what I'm saying is, Brother Pedro didn't go around glorying. You say, why? Well, it's not expedient. That's not really the thing that serves to advance. Now, let me ask you something. Uh, to use the illustration again, here's a fellow who really could catch fish. Don't you think that fellow could have gone around and say, I know how to catch fish. Don't you think, don't you think he could do that and be right? I guarantee you he could do that because he did. But it's not expedient. Well, man, I would really, here's a man sitting down in the privacy of his own bedroom and he's thinking about what all these other people think. Boy, I'd really like to, for them to think this about me and I'd really like to think, for them to think this about me. And so I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And every time they get around you, it's like, I don't know how to give you an illustration. It's just brag on themselves, brag on themselves, brag on themselves. And they're doing something that's really not expedient. It's not going to help you out in the long run. What it's actually going to do is just, it's going to serve to put you behind. Folks, folks have this desire. Every man, it's in the heart of man. John Adams said, John Adams in one of his letters that he wrote, I think it was to his wife. It might have been one to one of his boys. He wrote a letter to this fellow. He said, there is a desire in every human heart to be distinguished from every member of the human race. That's, a, that's in man. You say, where does man get that from? Well, I believe he gets that from a fallen nature, but I also believe he gets that from Genesis chapter 2 when God took man and put him in a garden and said, hey, have dominion. There's, there's something in man that's trying to get to the top. And so what a lot of times he does is he goes around and says, I'm so good, I'm so good, or I'm in charge, or I can do this. Or You say, what's he doing? He's glorying. And what he's really doing is he's putting himself behind. He's putting himself behind in a large measure. Look at what he says. He says, it's not expedient for me, doubtless to glory, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. You think God ever showed Paul the Apostle anything? Hey, you sleepy Baptist, you think God ever showed Paul anything? Do you know that you have a large number of your New Testament, a large part of your New Testament? You know who wrote that? Paul. God showed Paul some things. Now, he says right here in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1, he said, I, he said, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Hey, man, at this point, he's already wrote some of the New Testament. I mean, what else you got to learn, Paul? But you know what? In that same sentence, in that same verse, he says, he says, 
it's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. You know what Paul's dealing with in 2 Corinthians, particularly here in the last couple of chapters. You got chapter 12, chapter 11, chapter 10. You know what Paul's dealing with? It's so funny. Paul is dealing with trying to reestablish his credentials as an apostle to these people that he's writing to. I find that very interesting because he did that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And he also did it in Galatians chapter 1 and chapter 2. And now here he spends three chapters going through it in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, or 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 11, and 12. I wonder why he does that. Why, why spend so much time establishing the fact that you're an apostle, Paul? We already know that. You wrote about it in Romans chapter 15. Why spend so much time going over it? And I know why it is. It's because people by nature are rebels. People are just rebels, rebels by nature. Somebody tell you something to do? Oh, I ain't doing that. Now, little Johnny, don't, don't you get no cookies out of the cookie jar. And as soon as you turn your back, he's going to try and figure out a way if he can get a cookie out of the cookie jar. You say, why is that? Well, it might be because he's hungry, but the other aspect is because he's a rebel. And don't want to be told what to do. And so Paul has to sit here and say, now I'm an apostle. And he goes through here and he said, he going through. You go back and you look in Roman, or 2 Corinthians 10, 11, and then he leads up in chapter 12. And what he's saying is, hey, man, you had all these other people around you that were saying they was apostles. That's chapter 11. He said, you had all these other people around you saying that they was apostles. He said there was only one problem with their profession. They didn't bring any fruit along with it. He said, I did. Listen, if a fella came in here this morning and he said, I'm a preacher, all of you would sit there about like you are right now. Man, I can really preach up a storm. Man, I can really just get in there and I can just sh shut the corn. Man, I can really just let it go. And you'd sit there about like you're sitting right now. You know what you'd think somewhere along the lines? You'd think, well, let's see it. Get with it. <laughs> it's been so funny, man. Some folks have come through here. Preachers have come through here, Brother Curtis, and they walk right over there with Brother Mike. Uh, they, they haven't said it to me, but my response will be the same because it's so funny. He said they've come in here and preached to this congregation. And he said they'd walk over there and say, man, this church is dead. And Brother Mike said he looked at him and said, this church ain't dead. He said, they're just waiting on you to preach. <laughs> he said, this church is used to having their hide scalded. He said, they're just waiting for you to break down and get with it, man. He said, you're going to have to come in here. And I have told missionaries before, I, hey, when you come in here, you better make sure you got something to say <laughs> because folks are just going to sit there and look at you. What you're trying to say? I can really preach, man. I can preach up a storm. You mean you, you can get folks to stand up and shout and that's not preaching up a storm per se. Hey, if you can really preach up a storm, let's hear it. Do it. I quoted that verse, I think, on Wednesday night. He that boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and winds without rain. Yeah. I mean, you see something coming along. You see some fella standing up and, woo! Hey, you, where's the goods? Yeah. Well, see, that doesn't just apply to preachers. That applies to you. Yeah. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian! Okay, let's see it. Well, see, what you want, listen, and you should want it. You should want it. You should want folks to think of you as a Christian, should you not? I mean, if you're saved, now if you're reprobate and you're lost and on your way to hell, you probably don't care a whole lot about that unless you're just trying to fit in in a church. But if you're saved, man, there's something down in your heart to where you, you think from time to time. Man, I wonder how they perceive me. I wonder how folks really think about me. And a lot of times what folks will do is they'll go through and instead of just being who they're supposed to be, the glory. I'm such a wonderful Christian. You know who you often hear do stuff like that? It's the deacons that are out drinking on Friday night. You go to the average church in this area, in this area, Charlton County, Camden County, Brantley County, and you go listen to the folks that's sitting on the church pew saying, hey, I, I, I'm such a wonderful Christian, you know, I do this and I do that. And usually what's going on, and it don't just have to be the deacons, but I use that because I know that there's folks in this county that are deacons. And they're taking a nip off the bottle Friday night. And when I say a nip, I'm talking about the whole fifth of liquor. Hmm? And they come into the church on Sunday and, 
How are you doing today, my brother? I mean, it's so wonderful to be in God's house. Oh, yes, God is so holy. You say, what's somebody doing? They're glorying. But they ain't got nothing to glory about. Hey, I'll tell you something better to do. Just be who you are. You saved? Are you saved? Are you saved? <laughs> that does my heart so good. Uh, are you saved? Okay, then just be who you are now. You don't have to walk around and brag about that to everybody. You don't, I, and I'm not saying, listen, don't get the wrong understanding. I'm not saying that you should keep your mouth about your salvation. What I'm saying is you don't have to brag about what a wonderful person you are. If you're so wonderful, be that. Hey, open your mouth and tell people about Jesus. But as far as your personal life is concerned, as far as your personal sanctification is concerned, just be who you are. Hey, if God's cleaned you up, be clean. Hey, if God saved your soul, could you for once maybe just be happy about it? Listen, if you're not going to hell, do you think you could act like you're not going to hell? You don't have to walk around and say, I'm not going to hell. Hey, just walk around with a, with a, a smile on your face like a mule that's got done eating briars. Yes, sir, just walk around with a big smile on your face and... When somebody looks at you and says, what's wrong with you? It's funny. People say, what's wrong with you when you're smiling? Yeah. What do you mean what's wrong with me? I got a smile on my face because it's not normal. Everybody is supposed to walk around. Yeah. Especially, especially if you go to church. I mean, if you go to church, you ain't supposed to be happy about nothing. You're supposed to act like you're on your way to hell. I mean, just go blow your brains out. I mean, you got to go to church on Sunday and Wednesday night. Oh, horrors. No, man. If God really saved your soul and God pulled you off the road of going to hell, why don't you act like it at some time? How many of y'all happy that you're going to heaven? Man, a preacher ought not have to. And listen, I'm not talking about being fake or being phony. There, there are too many of those Christians. That, this is a message designed to get you to think about, stop doing that. But hey, man, if you're not happy about being saved, maybe the place where you need to get that joy back is right here and say, God, I'm so sorry, Lord, that you did such a wonderful work for me. At salvation, you did a wonderful work for me the day that you died at Calvary and three days later you rose from the... I'm sorry I'm not happy about it. I'm sorry that I'm not being who you made me to be. I'm so happy I'm saved. Boy, that sure is some glory in right there, I tell you. Hey, but wouldn't it be different? Wouldn't it be different if you walked into work tomorrow morning and... And just worked your whole day through doing what your boss told you to do. Doing what your boss told you to do. When he makes life hard for you. Makes it miserable. I mean, your boss man knows how to make life miserable for you, don't he? Don't he? You boss fella, say amen. <laughs> no, your boss man knows how to make life miserable for you. And everything he does to aggravate you. He's just met with one of these. Tears rolling down your face. Boy, this guy must have lost his mother. No, that's tears of joy. Yeah. What's wrong with you, man? What, what's going on with you? Man, God just saved my soul. Man, I'm just happy I'm on my way to heaven. I'm glad I have the peace of God in my heart. Mm -hmm. You know what a lot of folks is trying to do, Brother Curtis? They're walking around, and I'm not against letting personal sanctification and personal holiness be the mark that distinguishes you from the rest of the folks you're around. I'm not against that. But you know what a lot of folks is doing? They're trying to prove that they're saved by the fact that, well, I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't do this, and I don't do that. And there's an element of that to where I'm not going to take that away. But you know what one of the greatest marks of salvation is? Joy. It's peace. Go down and work next to a guy who doesn't have assurance of his salvation. He doesn't know that he's saved. And he'd been out drinking the weekend before. He'd been out carousing. He probably smoked some dope. And he probably, I mean, God only knows what he did. 
And you know, he did all this stuff that's supposed to give him a good time. And you know how he comes into work on Monday? Looks like a zombie. Looks like what some of y'all looked at for entertainment this past week. Huh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's the way he comes in. And here comes a Christian. His wife has got cancer treatments. His mama just passed away a month ago. His daddy won't talk to him no more because he's living right and his daddy wants to live like a heathen. And here comes in this fellow to work on Monday morning. Come out from a weekend of passing out tracts and telling people God, Jesus, God sent Jesus Christ to die for their sins. And he comes in with joy in his heart and a smile on his face. Having faced all the persecution and all the trouble that he's dealt with. And he comes in with joy in his heart. What you got so what you got to be so happy about? Man, I'm I got peace. I got joy, man. Do you know the Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You know what the evidence of you being saved is? It's not the fact that you quit smoking. And you should. You say, why should you quit smoking? Because the wages of sin is death. It's gonna kill you. And so you should quit smoking. But yeah. that's not the evidence. That's not the primary evidence of your salvation. Yeah. Brother Nathan, I thought you were going to preach against a bunch of stuff. Hey, come back tonight. We'll probably do it. But what I'm trying to do right now is preach for some things. How about preaching for joy? How about preaching for peace? Well, listen, if you're saved, that's what you got. Listen, we were talking this morning in Sunday school. Some of you have assurance of something that nobody else in this world has because they don't have Jesus. You say, what's that? The assurance that you see your loved ones again if they're saved. Man, that's worth something. How much money would you give, Brother Tommy? I mean, I don't think any of your parents has passed away, but if you had some parents that was dead and gone, how much money would you give to be able to see them again? Some folks, man, some folks lose their parents and they know nothing about Christianity. And further worse, their parents knew nothing about Christianity and they have no hope, no hope of ever seeing those people again. Hey, I think you ought to, listen, I'm not talking about being unrealistic, man. Life happens to folks. But what I'm talking about is the fact that, man, you got something and you don't realize what you have. And so what you're trying to do is go through this life and convince yourself, I really got it good. I really got it good. I really got it. And it's almost a fake sense of glory. It's an insincere mindset. Somebody get around you and, oh, I'm so wonderful. I'm so good. You know if they know themselves, they know they're not so wonderful. It's insincere. But that's exactly what the average Christian does when he gets down to work on Monday morning. He gets up next to a bunch of guys that are lost and on their way to hell. And this guy, he's saved. And he doesn't realize what God's done for him in saving his soul. And he's getting next to him saying, it's so wonderful to be a Christian. I'm so glad I'm not on my way to hell. I'm so glad I have assurance of my salvation. But you ain't happy about that. It's a fake sense of glory and it's a false sense. It's, you've got the gift. But it sounds like to the rest of them, you're boasting yourself of a false give. Yeah. It's not expedient. It's not expedient. Look right here. He says, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Now, I have tended to believe that, that that's Paul who he's talking about. I, I've got some questions about that after looking at it a little bit closer this past week. So I'm going to say I'm not too sure, but it's possible that it was Paul. Paul goes into Lister one time and he preaches, and those folks drag him outside the streets, outside the city, and they stone him to death. And when Paul gets up, when, when they all walk away, Paul gets up and walks right back into the city, gets his stuff together and leaves town. I recommend if somebody kills you, I recommend if you get alive again, you leave town. I mean, unless you want to die again. Yeah. Anyways, some of y'all dead this morning. That's what's wrong with you. Yeah. But it could have been Paul. But, you know, it could have been somebody else. It could have been somebody else. Well, Paul says this fellow, he's caught up to the third heaven. He said... 
how that verse four, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it's not lawful for a man to utter. He said, of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. What do you reckon Paul had room to glory about? <clears throat> Paul had plenty to glory about. Paul had plenty to be able to talk to folks about and say, well, I've done this, I've done that. Hey, if this was Paul, Paul's got reason to stand up and say, man, I've been to heaven before. You can't say that. And neither can the guy who wrote, you know, 15 minutes in heaven. These guys act like they die and go to heaven. You know, they see all this stuff. Well, I know they ain't seen it because Paul said somebody he knew went up there and saw it and he couldn't talk about it. So if somebody's writing a book about it, they, they're messed up. And you know what's interesting about that? Paul gets, some, he says somebody that he knows, he gets caught up to the third heaven. And he said he sees, he hears things which are not lawful for a man to utter. And you know, something like 50 or 60 years later, there's a man who did get caught up to heaven and he did write about it. John the Apostle. Hey, if that was Paul, listen, if that was Paul, what do you think Paul knew that John knew? I mean, if you go to Delaware and I go to Delaware and we're standing in Faith Baptist Church, I mean, we're just looking by the side of the eyes. We're hearing with the sound of our ears or, you know, the perception of our ears, I guess you could say. If you're looking around and you see that if it's real, then I'm going to see what he sees and he's going to see what I see. You know, the things that, Paul, that the Apostle John's writing in Revelation chapter 4, if that was Paul, whoever it was, don't you think they saw it? But God wouldn't let them talk about it. Don't say nothing. Hey, if, if God would have took the bridle off, if that was Paul, if God would have took the bridle off, don't you reckon that Paul could have got some more notoriety? God said, Shh. not your place. Folks get to a place to where, oh, I want somebody else. Boy, the flesh is very strong. I want this guy to think better of me. And so you know what you'll do? You'll talk about things that's not lawful for you to talk about. Yeah. Ain't that right? Why, why, why do folks talk about things that they, that they shouldn't talk about? And you know you shouldn't talk about it, but man, it's such an easy trap. Why do you do that? I'll tell you why you often do that. It's because you want the person you're talking to to think better about you. Yeah. Yeah. Ain't that right? I know it's right. I know it's real quiet in here, but that's true. <clears throat> Don't do this. Don't do this. Jump onto your children, chew them up one side and down the other. And then you know what the temptation from there is? Go over here to another adult. And tell them everything that you had to jump on your children about. What's the point behind that? Why? 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 Just keep it to yourself, man. Well, you know, they just need to know. Well, maybe what you need to do is keep your kids close to you. So you can keep an eye on them. You don't have, listen, you don't have to destroy their sense of dignity. You don't have to destroy their sense of character in the eyes of somebody else. I know some folks living in this town right now, Brother Curtis. I know some folks living in this town right now that I wouldn't trust them as far as I could throw them. You know where a lot of that came from? It came from their parents running around telling everybody what was wrong with their kids. I don't even know the kids themselves. Those kids might be trustworthy. But I won't trust them because there's already something in my mind that's been put there by mom and dad running around and saying things. It probably is genuine faults that they had. I, listen, I'm not talking about kids abusing other kids. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about little things here and there. Things that kids deal with. And so they get to a situation to where mom and dad runs around and tells everybody all this stuff. And by the time they turn 20 years old, the rest of society is looking at them saying, well, that kid's stupid. That kid ain't trustworthy. That kid's this. That kid's that. How do you know that kid ain't grown out of it? Any of y'all ever lied when you was kids? 
Any of you ever stole when you was kids? I stole. I don't steal no more. I did it one time. One time. And you know what my mama did? She didn't whoop me. She did something worse than a whooping. She made me take, I stole a Tootsie Roll off of a consignment shop counter right here in Folkestone, Georgia. You know where the Masonic Lodge is? I know some of you know where it is because you're members, ain't you? Devils. Mm -hmm. uh, right where that Masonic Lodge is, there was a consignment shop in there. I could tell you the lady's first name. I don't know what her last name is now. Her and her husband that she's married to at the time, they got a divorce. I took a little Tootsie Roll. They had these flavored Tootsie Rolls. That was my favorite when I was a kid. And I took one out of a little bucket. And when I walked outside, when I walked outside, I pulled that thing out of my pocket and I went like this. It was only that long. I walked outside and pulled that thing like this. And my mama said, where'd you get that from? And she said, no, sir. She took me by the hand and she took me right back in there and she made me get that lady and she said, you tell her what you just did and apologize. Boy, you want to talk about making me feel so low, I could have sat on a dime and swung my legs. Never did it again. To God be the glory. Thanks be to my mother. But I guarantee you, I don't know that she never did, but I don't think she ever went around and told anybody that I did that. She didn't have to. You know what she could have done? She could have been so insecure in herself that she'd have went around and said, my little boy did this. He's such a devil. He's so bad. And see how I whooped him. And what that really amounts to is, see what a wonderful mother I am for straightening him out. It's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. Hey, did you straighten it out? Then just let it die right there. You say, well, they're going to turn out to be a little criminal because they're stealing left and right. Well, don't you reckon the law's going to catch up with them? And once the law catches up with them, it's going to come out in the open. And listen, let me say this. Just because some little kid steals something, that don't mean that mom and daddy's the ones at fault. Because a little boy or a little girl grows up to be a thief, that doesn't mean that it's mom and daddy's fault. It could be. It could be. Not can't take that off the table. But that doesn't mean that mom and daddy's the one that made that. Do you realize that you have a free will in spite of what those two folks teach you? Hey, they're, they're not as far as I know, but these could be two of the worst people in all of Charlton County. You don't have to turn out that way. And you know, just the same way, they could be two of the greatest people in this church, and you could turn out to be a sot drunk. Yeah. It's not likely, but it's possible. Yeah. Bible does say train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. You set the tone when they're a kid, but that is not a statement of the way you raise them, they are going to turn out that way. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <clears throat> he was caught up in the paradise and heard unspeakable words, which was not lawful for a man to other. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. Paul said the thing that I'm going to glory in is the fact that I have some weaknesses myself. You say, well, why would Paul do such a thing like that? Well, he says uh, down here in, in verse... Seven, he said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. He said, God has done much for me. God has showed me a lot of things. He said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. He said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He said, the devil, he said, the Lord allowed the devil to give me some affliction in my body so that I wouldn't get a big head. That's what he's saying. And he said, verse 8, he said, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said, God told him, the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in, mine infirm in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Any of you ever been embarrassed? You ever been embarrassed about a fault that you have? Boy, that's hard to take, ain't it? 
It's not so bad until people find out about it. And you know what the tendency, the, the temptation is to do at that point? Save face. Do whatever's necessary to save face. You know what Paul did? Paul said, he's not glorying in the fact that he's a sinner. He's not glorying in his sin. He said, I, glory, he said, I glory in my infirmities. That's a weakness. A lot of it has to do with his body. In his case, it deals with his body. But, you know, that weakness in a lot of cases an infirmity can be a weakness in your mind. Paul said, I glory in that. Why? Because I've got to depend on the Lord. <clears throat> Here's an apostle. He comes through and he's letting it go, man. He's letting it rip through letters. And when he gets down here to Corinth, he says, I believe it's in chapter 11, he says, these people are looking at him saying, man, he sounds like a great Dane in his letters. But he looks like a chihuahua in person. What they're saying is, man, your, your bark sounds real big, but man, to look at you. This wisdom, this power is coming from a guy that is, for all intents and purposes, he looks like he's insignificant. And Paul said, that's it. That's the way it is. And he just lets it be. I said he lets it be. He doesn't go around and say, yeah, but I got a really bad bite, man. Don't let me fool you. Yeah. These folks are looking at him and saying, good night, man. His letter's cut to the heart. But he looks like an old man. Paul just lets it be. Look at, look at what he says in verse 6. Let me close with my text. He said, for though I would desire to glory, that's in every man. Though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. You know what Paul said he was going to do? He said, I'm going to let who I really am be the evidence of what I am. When Paul came through and he preached, people believed the gospel. Did they not? You know what was born out of that? Churches established Christians. Folks down at the church at Ephesus, not the one down here, <laughs> the one in the Bible. When he opens up that book to the church at Ephesus, he says, to those, he said, to the saints and faithful in Christ Jesus. Do you know how hard it is to find faithful people? They was down at the church at Ephesus. You know who had a big part in that? Paul the apostle. And you know what Paul did? Somebody look at Paul and say, what right do you have to tell me what to do? Paul, it's almost like you can see Paul not even say anything. He'd just go. You say, what's he looking for? The church back at Ephesus. That's the proof. You say, what's he talking about? What I'm talking about is the evidence for who you are is what's behind, what's left in the wake of where you've been. You know, you go down in a boat and you turn that motor on as fast and as high as it'll go, and that boat cutting through the water, it makes that wake, those waves that come off the backside of the boat, that's a wake. That's evidence that, hey, a boat has been here. Well, what Paul does is when somebody looks at him and says, you ain't got no right to tell me what to do, Paul just looks behind him. Well, I've got this fruit to show. And that's what Paul alludes to in 2 Corinthians 10, 11, and 12. Brother Nathan, I'd really like for people to think better of me. Well, what's behind you? Yeah. What's behind you? Listen, if you turn around and look behind you, and nothing behind you is, is anything except death and destruction and despair and depression, and then if people think ill thoughts of you, I mean, you worked for that. But if what you can look behind you is life and people getting help, listen, I'm trying to help you this morning. If what you can look behind you and see is God's blessing behind you, they may not think it about you right now, but give it some time. I told my wife yesterday, uh, Brother Mike Easter's pastor was Carl Lackey. I'm sure y'all, most of y'all know Brother Mike Easter and his pastor was Carl Lackey. Brother Mike told me, he said, they hated 
Carl Lackey when he was alive. They despised him. The county where he was at, they despised him because they knew what he stood for. Brother Carl Lackey would stand up in his pulpit on Sunday morning and have those guys in there who, were growing, who was growing tobacco. And he would land on the tobacco industry. He would preach. He would rail against it. The folks in the county hated him. You know what they did after he died, Brother Curtis? I've seen it. Right down the road from the church, there's a bridge, a little overpass over a little creek. I believe it's over a creek. And it's the Carl T. Lackey overpass. They hated him while he was alive. But those folks recognized, the folks, the county commissioners recognized there's something different about that guy. They knew it. They knew it. They knew it. There ain't no bridges ever been named after a profligate. Somebody that squandered their whole income because they're trying to get a drink instead of trying to provide for the family. I just really want folks to think well of me. Well, let me tell you something. Be right. Just do right. May come across as a rebuke this morning because, boy, it sure is quiet in here. But I tell you, just do right and give it some time. Do the right thing. So, you know, Brother Nathan, they really think bad of me. Did you do right? If you didn't, then you need to get your conscience clear. Are you doing right? If you're not, then you need to straighten that out. So, well, I'm not interested in doing right. Okay, then you deserve what folks think about you. But if you're trying to do right and you're interested in doing the right thing and you're trying to order your life according to God's principles, let the Lord do what he will. Amen. Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness this morning, Lord. I, God, I thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, God, for the truth of the Scripture. And, Lord, I pray, God, that what I said this morning be a help. I pray that it be a source of direction. And, God, Lord, we pray, God, that you help us, God, to be who we are. Lord, help us, God, not to be fakes. Help us not to be phonies, Lord. I pray that you'd help us, God, to just be what you've made us to be. And, Lord, trust you with it, God. Lord, we know, Lord, that the kingdom of God is not in word, but, Lord, it's in power, Lord. It's not just something, Lord, that we talk about. It's something that is. It is it's a reality. And, Lord, I pray, God, Lord, that you'd help us, God, Lord, to live the right way and to do the right things. Lord, we'll thank you for it. God bless this afternoon, Lord, as we dismiss. I pray you bless these folks as they go home and eat and rest or do whatever they do. I pray that you'd bless them, watch out over them. God, bring us back tonight. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good day. May the Lord bless you. You're dismissed.